There, there is coming a time on this planet where the earth is going to be entering into a time that is called the tribulation period. Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds very, very shortly and remove from this planet every person who has entered into a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, they will be immediately vanished from off of the face of this earth. All of us that know him. That will soon usher in a period of seven years, a period of, of tribulation. You know, as I sat around with some of the Russian believers there, I'm talking cream of the crop at the pastor's meeting, and the subject came to the book of Revelation, which is something that, that they really don't know anything about. And I'm, I'm working through a translator, you know, this is at the dinner table for about two hours. I'm talking about the tribulation period, and the translator looks at me and says, Tribulation? Uh, uh, great grief? Don't even understand about the tribulation period. You know what I'm talking about now? I mean, a, a lot of a lot of truth that, that just they don't know anything about. But there is going to be a period. Jesus said there's never been a period like it before. There'll never be a period like it after it. A, a period of that's a great way of putting it. Great grief. And he's going to come to this planet. But in the midst of that period of time, there is going to be a group of people called the 144,000. And if you go back to chapter 7 for a moment, that's, this is where we were introduced to them in our study. And, and what we see in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 7 is that there are four angels that are standing on the four corners of the earth and they're holding the, the wind, as it were, of God's judgment. And John says in, in verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads and... John says in verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And in verse 5, you'll notice he begins to list the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And what he says here in this passage is that there is going to be twelve thousand, twelve thousand Jews from each of the twelve tribes, which is where, of course, the hundred and forty-four thousand comes from, twelve thousand times... 12, and during the, the tribulation period, it is going to be this horrendous period of great grief, of, of incredible tribulation that is going to be poured out upon this planet. But this group of people are going to have a seal that is in their foreheads, and they are going to be the only ones that will escape this type time of judgment on this planet. Now that's important for you to see what verse or chapter 7 lays out. Because we see them now again in chapter 14. And this is where we are in our study. <clears throat> chapter 14. And, and guys, listen, I, I want you to know, my, my goal in, in, in this whole thing has been to, to teach this church the book of Revelation. I, I believe that's important to God. I, I, especially in the time that we're living in. Right before all of these events begin to take place on this earth, I believe that this is something that the Lord wanted me to do. My goal all along has been to, to teach you and make sure that we as a church understand the things 
that are here. And again, that's been my goal. But listen, I believe that there is something that is in the heart of God that is a whole lot bigger than just teaching us all of these truths. I believe what God wants to do is take these truths and, and use them in our life to make us like his son, to make us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I'm saying all of that because some of the things that we see here in chapter 14, as, as he begins to describe this, this group of 144,000, there's some things that we see here that really aren't too difficult to understand. In fact, to be quite honest with you, we could take one Sunday and we could make it through these five verses and we would all understand about the 144,000. But as, as I began to go through this and see this group of what we just saw in chapter 7, these servants of our God, this incredible group of people, it, it just began to just scream out to me some practical applications that I... Uh, I, I don't want to get so in a hurry to teach the book of Revelation that we miss some things that I think God is wanting to say to this church. And so what, I, what I'm telling you here is we're not going to be able to make it through these five verses very quickly. It's going to take us several weeks, but I think there's some things that the Lord wants to do in us. There's some things that, that he wants us to see. Because listen, when, when all the cards have been played, I mean, when it's all said and done and, and, and we're, we've entered into eternity, there is going to be one group of believers who did it right. In fact, listen, in all of human history, there will only have been one group of believers who ever did it completely right. And it isn't the nation of Israel, obviously. It isn't the church of Jesus Christ. It ain't us. It is this group of 144,000. And so listen, if you're ever going to learn anything about what it really is to be a servant of God, if you're ever going to really learn what it is to be, what God wants you to be, man, you don't want to miss the example that this group of people sets. Now, we've talked about some, some major things that we've got to make sure that we don't do. We cannot read ourselves into that group of 144,000. We'd love to follow their example, but we'll never be the 144,000 because, number one, we're Jew, not Jews. We're not of the tribes of the children of Israel, and this is not the tribulation period, but other than that, you might be. All right? But we're certainly not the 144,000. We're living in a different dispensation than these people are, are going to be living in, but listen, there are some unbelievably important truths that we, we've got to make sure that, that we get. We started last time looking at these. The first thing we saw about this group is that there is visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. That's Roman numeral one. There is visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb and His Father. And we saw that, first of all, in the seal of the 144,000 servants of our God. That's letter A, the seal of the 144,000 servants of our God. Now, now check it out. When this group of 144,000 Jews is converted at the beginning of the tribulation period, before the wind of God's judgment begins to be poured out upon this earth, as we saw back in chapter 7, all 144,000 of them receive a seal in their foreheads. It is the seal 
of the living God. And here in verse 1 of chapter 14, John lets you know exactly what that seal is that's in their foreheads. Look at verse 1. John says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, here it is, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That's what this seal is. It's the lamb's father's name. It's the name Jehovah written on their foreheads, and it serves as a, a seal. And we looked at the significance last time of that, that seal and, and what that seal is actually going to mean to the 144,000. But the, the main point that I was wanting to make sure that we see is that that seal provides visible evidence to absolutely every single person in the tribulation period, from the Antichrist to the false prophet to anyone and everyone else, that that group of people is identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father himself, and their identification is made visible because it is written all over them. And the, the whole thrust of the message last time is that if you, are truly one of God's servants in this dispensation. Right now, if you truly are one of God's servants in the church age, if you really have been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and have entered into a personal relationship with God the Father, then just like the 144,000, there will be visible evidence that you are identified with the Lamb and His Father. It won't be written in your forehead, but I took you absolutely all over the entire New Testament to show you that it's going to be written all over your, what? All over your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it, it says that once we've been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, it says that we become living Epistles. You know what an epistle is? You've got the epistle to the Romans, the epistle to the Corinthians in your Bible. It's, it's letters. It's something that you look at and you read. And he says, once you've been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become, you, you, you become living epistles, listen to it, known and read of all men. And Paul goes on to explain that we're epistles, listen to it, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. In other words, when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, our identification with Him is known to all men. Not because He writes anything with ink on our forehead or anywhere else, but what He says is the Spirit of God moves in and He changes our hearts. And the result of a changed heart is a changed life. And it's visible, not only to God, but to everyone. We're known and read of all men. It's visible by our life, and that's our seal. Ephesians 1.13 says that it is the seal of the Holy Spirit. And listen, if our life isn't making that seal visible, then what the Bible says, it's because we never have been sealed with the Spirit. Because listen, when the Spirit of the living God is in you and has sealed you, 
you're going to know it. And not only will you know it, everyone else around you is going to know it as well. And in the tribulation period, God is going to know every single one of his servants because he's going to seal them in their foreheads. But now listen, the same thing is true of God's servants in the church age. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Listen to it. The Lord knoweth them that are his. In the tribulation period, he's going to know them that are his because they have a seal. What Paul is telling us is that right now, in the church age, the Lord still knows them that are his. And he knows it through a seal. And he tells you in that, that very same verse, 2 Timothy 2.19, what that seal is. He says this, Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You can tell God's servants in the church age because they're the ones whose lives manifest a continuous, lifelong process of departing from iniquity. And oh my goodness, do independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists in the, almost the 21st century, do we ever need to hear that message? Because a lot of people who believe wholeheartedly in the biblical teaching of once saved, always saved, have just one minor little problem. And that is, they've never been once saved. Now listen, if you've ever been once saved, we take a lot of flack about this, but what the Bible teaches, you will always be saved. But, you better make sure that you have been once saved. And if you've been once saved, you'll be known and read of all men. Because he makes you, by the Spirit of God that he puts in you, he makes you a living epistle. He does something in your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3 puts it another way. If any man love God, the same is known of him. In other words, if you love God, people are going to know it. Not because you, you, you dangle a big cross around your neck. Not because you got a, a big fat bumper sticker, you know, honk if you love Jesus. Or, and not, not because people see your, your car leave your driveway every Sunday morning and Sunday night. People are going to know it. If you love God, God says, people are going to know that. It, it, the same is going to be known of you because of your life. But not only is the visible evidence of the 144,000's identification with the Lamb and His Father manifest through the seal that they receive. Letter C, it's also made visible through their submission. And that's letter C, the submission of the 144,000 servants of God. And, and we see this in the middle of verse 4. Would you, would you look at this? And, and I'll tell you. I know you haven't been able to, to put the time in, in meditating on this passage that I have, but I'm just telling you, this is such a blessing to me. Look at the middle of verse 4. These, these 144,000, these are they which follow the Lamb. And check it out. Not just follow the Lamb, but follow the Lamb 
whithersoever he goeth. Now, now, now remember, when, when we saw the 144,000 in chapter 7, they were on earth. When we see them here in chapter 14, they're in heaven. John said in verse 1, when he saw them, they were standing with the Lamb on the Mount Zion. And we saw last time, it's not the Mount Zion located on this earth in Palestine, but look at it in verse 1, it's the Mount Zion. The one referred to in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, the city of the living God, listen, the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly Mount Zion. And, and, and check it out, as John beheld these 144,000 in heaven. You, you know what he's saying here in verse 4? He, he's saying the thing that was just, the thing that was just so apparent, the, the thing that just grabbed me about this group of people was that wherever the Lamb was, the 144,000 were right there. They followed the Lamb whithersoever he went. I mean, they, they, they wouldn't let him out of their sight. They wouldn't allow themselves to be removed even for a second from his presence. They wouldn't allow any distance between him and themselves. And I'm telling you, that just, it blesses my heart. But listen, the thing that blesses my heart about that, because in heaven I think that's going to be such a natural thing, but the thing you've got to understand is that this is actually the reward of the 144,000. This is their reward. You, you see, check this out now. When the 144,000 lived on the earth during the tribulation period, spiritually, they followed the Lamb. Absolutely. Every single place that He led them. I mean, it didn't matter where it was. It didn't matter what the situation called for. If He was leading, buddy, they were there. If the Lamb needed someone to go during the tribulation period, and boy, wouldn't you love to be one of them. But if the Lamb needed someone to go stand on the steps of the Vatican and cry out against the false prophet and, 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 and the, the false prophet and all that he was doing to, dece to deceive the world from embracing the beast and worshiping him and, and taking his mark. And, and at this point, of course, the beast is going to have set himself up as the vicar of Christ on the earth and the head of the Roman Catholic system of religion. And if God needs somebody to go get in somebody's face there at the Vatican, bam, 144,000 are glad to oblige. They're there. They followed him. Whithersoever he goeth. If the lamb needed someone to go get in the face of the beast himself and denounce him and, and his policy and his religion and his ministers and his economic scheme and his mark and his true satanic identity, then, buddy, the 144,000 were there, and with boldness they proclaimed that Jesus Christ is the true Christ, that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And listen, during the tribulation period, if the Lamb was leading them to go into any city or village or hamlet or town or, or tribe, anywhere on the face of this entire planet to proclaim to the untold millions the gospel of the kingdom, 144,000, buddy, were there. I mean, they climbed the highest Himalayas, they cross desert sands, they cross the wide Arctic expanses. I mean, they, they make their way through steaming jungles. They go anywhere and everywhere. The Lamb leads them to get that message out. They followed the Lamb whithersoever He goeth. 
and check it out. Now they're in heaven. And nothing's changed. They're still doing just what they were doing on the earth. And part of their glorious reward for following the Lamb spiritually while they lived on the earth is that they're privileged to follow him literally in heaven. And the point that I'm wanting to make sure that you see in all of this is that the submission of the 144,000 provides visible evidence of their identification with the Lamb. Listen, when we get to heaven, y'all, if you ever want to know where the 144,000 are, just look for the Lamb, because that's where they're going to be. If you ever want to know where the Lamb is, just look for a group of about 144,000 folks, because that's where they are. They're going to be with Him. Their identification with Him will be visibly evident through their submission to Him. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. And listen, that'll be true in heaven because that was what was true of their lives when they were on the earth. And again, that, that blesses me. But who cares if it blesses me? Who cares if it blesses you? There's something here. That those of us living in the church age better learn because, listen, the, the, the submission of this group of people screams out an unbelievably practical message for all of us because listen if you truly are one of God's servants in the church age if you really have been born again by the Spirit of God because you were redeemed through the precious blood of the Lamb and you've entered into a personal relationship with God the Father through that blood then listen just like the 144,000 there will be visible evidence that you are identified with the Lamb through your submission to Him, through the submission of your life to Him. Uh, and I want you to listen very carefully, and especially those of you that are here this morning that think that you're saved. What Jesus Christ said, not me, not First Baptist Church, not the First Baptist Church doctrinal statement, not scholar so-and-so, not doctor whoever, but Jesus Christ, the Lamb himself, said that his true servants in the church age will be visible to all through their submission. Because just like the 144,000, they will follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. And listen, 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 folks, listen. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible tells you why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But now listen, as you begin to follow the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's doing just what he came to do, as you follow his ministry, and you watch him seeking lost man, and as you watch him seeking to save lost man, 
and you listen to the invitation that he gave to lost people, what becomes abundantly clear is that Jesus was not simply asking people whether or not they wanted to go to heaven when they die. He wasn't trying to sell people on himself. He wasn't going throughout the earth trying to manipulate conversation, conversations to try to get people to pray the magic formula of a prayer to God. He wasn't looking for people to, to file into buildings and leave their seat as the choir sings softly, just as I am. He wasn't looking for people to adopt a, a religious system. Listen, he wasn't even looking for so-called converts. He was looking for followers. He was looking for followers. His invitation to Peter and Andrew in, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. You know what his invitation was? Follow me. His invitation to Matthew in, in Matthew 9, 9 was follow me. His invitation to Levi in Mark chapter 2 and verse 14 was follow me. His invitation to all of the twelve was follow me. His invitation to the scribe in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 22 was follow me. His invitation to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18 and verse 22 was follow me. And now listen, just take a wild stab at what his invitation was to every person. And I want you to see this one. Go to Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. He's been having a, just a, a monumental discussion with the twelve about who the people were saying that he was and he began to tell them about the fact that in a short while he was going to be rejected by the religious leaders of the nation of Israel and he would be killed and when he finishes all of that verse 34 says and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also okay now Mark's letting us know that all the previous teaching was just with with the twelve but now check it out now he pulls all the people together with the twelve to continue his teaching and watch what he says in the middle of verse 34 he says to all the people and his disciples, whosoever, okay? Now, if you have any difficulty at all with the King James English, whosoever means whomever. Anybody. Any person. Everybody. When Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, he said, if any man, okay, you got it? Look at it. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And again, the point is, the Lord Jesus Christ has always been interested not in getting people at the close of a service to come forward and pray a prayer, sign a card, do, sing a song, walk an aisle, be a convert. He, he's not interested in all that. He's interested and followers and because of that that's what he invited people to become his followers we could put it another way he was inviting people to be his 
disciples. Not his converts. His disciples. And now listen, that was his invitation. And you know why that was his invitation? Now, now this, is, this is big. You know why that was his invitation? It's because of what it says in Isaiah 53 and verse 6. What, what, it, what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53 and verse 6 is, check out the first word, y'all. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now listen to it. We have turned everyone to, you know the rest of it? His own way. Check it out. Folks, listen. We followed our own selfish desires. We followed our own sinful, selfish passions and lust. We followed our own selfish minds and our bodies. We followed our own selfish wills. We followed our own way. And not only that, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says that, here it comes again, we all, count them, all, every man, we all, every single last one of us, walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. In other words, listen to it, y'all, we followed Satan through the entire world system of evil over which he is the head. That was true of every single last one of us. We all followed our own way. We all followed Satan through the course of this evil world. And you see, because of that, Jesus was inviting people to no longer follow their own way or the way of Satan through the course of this world, his invitation was to get off of that path and follow him. And turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. In verse 25, Peter says, For ye, what's the next word? Work. Now, now, now help me with my English. Present tense, past tense. You know what he's talking about here? Before we came to Christ, we were, just as we saw in Isaiah 53 in verse 6, we were as sheep going astray. We were following, remember, our own stupid, sinful, selfish way. But are now, now that we've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Listen. That's what salvation is, folks. When you come to Christ with nothing but your helplessness and your hopelessness and nothing but your sinfulness, and, and you cry out to Him for mercy 
He transfers you out of the kingdom of darkness, places you into the kingdom of his dear son. And listen, what happens to you when you get transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son is you go from following your own selfish way and the way of Satan and his whole system of evil. Look at what it says. And you are returned to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him. And the idea here of being returned is that of being redeemed. We're bought back. You see, as you go back and you see when God created the first man and woman in the garden, the voice of God came down and walked with them in the garden. Adam followed the bishop of his soul through that garden. He chose the way of evil just like we all have, and we went our own way. We went the way of Satan. And now salvation has come. And check it out. We're returned to the relationship that God intended us to have at the very beginning. You see that? We're returned to the, the bishop and the shepherd of our souls. And listen, not simply to follow his teaching. Not simply to follow his precepts, but listen, to follow him, to follow his, his person. Listen, we aren't born again because of the teaching of Christ. We're born again because of the, the person of Christ. Do you understand the difference? Buddhists follow the teaching of Buddhists. Christians don't follow the teachings of Christ. That's what makes this not a religion. We follow a person. We follow Christ. It, this is so simple. We, we, we miss this, though. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's why his invitation was to follow me. Listen, because the way isn't a religion. It's a person. The truth isn't a teaching. It's a person. The life isn't an experience. It's a person. Eternal life is not because we grabbed a hold of some great teaching one day. It's because the shepherd and bishop of our souls, we were returned to him and we follow him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow him. And it brings up a, a real great question. And here it is. Can you be genuinely saved? Can you really be saved and not be a follower of Jesus Christ? Can you? You know what? I, I hope so. I don't think so. But I, I hope so, because the truth is, 
there's a good portion of people that are in this room this morning who have believed the right truth about Christ and have had some kind of religious experience related to that truth about him. But submission to him is not characteristic of your life. You aren't following him and yet you think you're saved this morning. You think that you're on your way to heaven. And, and, and I'm, I'm asking you, are they? Now listen very carefully. Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 says this. You know what it says? What's the first word? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Okay, now I'm asking you, not a trick question here, okay? I'm just asking you, what is the condition for salvation? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I want to make sure everybody in the room hears this. To make salvation anything other than that, to add any other conditions to salvation than mere belief on the Lord Jesus Christ makes it a false gospel. And if you propagate that message, it makes you, according to the Word of God, a heretic. The only condition for salvation is belief on the Lord Jesus Christ. However, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, like 1 Corinthians chapter 2 commands us to do, it becomes very apparent that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ means something more than intellectual assent or, or, or an intellectual understanding or some mental exercise of simply embracing a theological truth about who Christ is or what he came to this planet to do. Because James chapter 2 and verse 19 says that the devils, what? They believe. Uh-oh. And make sure you understand this. There is not a demon anywhere in the entire universe who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. There's not a demon anywhere in the entire universe that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day, and that that is the only possible means of salvation. Their theology is absolutely impeccable. Intellectually, they believe everything that you need to believe. And James 2.19 even says that what they believe causes them to what? <gasps> to tremble. You know what? They're even emotionally stirred because of what they believe. But because they believe all of the right stuff, does that mean that they're saved? course it doesn't and the point is if the demons believe and they're not saved believing on the Lord Jesus Christ according to Acts 16 31 must mean something more than mental or intellectual assent okay we track them with each other okay you remember last time I took you to the book of first John chapter 5 and verse 13 it says these things have I written unto you that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that you may 
know that you have eternal life. Now, if you didn't have to define what belief means, why didn't he just say, now, if you believe, then you can know? I didn't have to write chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. See, he wrote chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 to define for you what believing in him, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ really means. You say, well, what does it mean then? You guys got a few minutes in you? All right, y'all are cool. I love you. And the rest of you that didn't say amen, I love you too. Just don't like you as much. Let me, let me just take you real quick on a, a quick little journey through the, the Gospel of John. We're, I mean, we're talking quick, okay? We're just going to hit high points here, all right? And I think you'll begin to see this thing as it comes together here. All right, now before we start on our little journey, let, let, me, let me just tell you why we're doing this. Let, let, me go, let me go to the last chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 21. John 21. And look at the very last verse, verse 25. John says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Okay, that's, that's, that's pretty monumental. And since that's true, then it stands to reason that the things that were written were chosen very specifically. And if you look back at chapter 20, John tells you the criteria that the Holy Spirit used to determine, out of all of this stuff, he tells you the criteria the Holy Spirit used to determine what would be included. And in John chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, it says this, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, here it is, y'all, that ye might, what? Believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what every demon of hell believes. But further than that, and that believing, you might have life through his name. In other words, what God's saying is this book is sitting in your Bible to bring you to true saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which he refers to here as Believing, Okay, so this ought to be good. And we're getting ready to find out then what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that we may be saved. And let's start in John chapter 2. 2, Jesus has just cleansed the temple uh, of the money changers. And I want you to see what it says in verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover... In the feast day, many, you see it there? Many believed in his name. And you see, we say, man, praise the Lord, man. Hallelujah. Sounds like a revival. Many believed in his name. But I want you to notice here that Jesus didn't celebrate or say amen. He didn't say, you see, that's what I'm talking about. This is what it's all about right here now. Rather, check out verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Check it out. Jesus knew that what they were bringing to the table was not true saving faith. Look at the end of verse 23. They believed 
what they had seen him do. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Listen, they were emotionally stirred because of what they had seen and they had intellectually connected what they had seen to the fact that this is what the Messiah would do. But Jesus didn't commit himself to them because they hadn't expressed true saving belief in Christ. They had not expressed true saving faith. And, and the point is, they weren't any different than any demon of hell. They believed the right truth. They were stirred emotionally by what they believed, but they weren't saved. Now, that seems apparent to me. Would you look at verse 24? Let me just ask you. Do you think this group of people is saved? Turn over to chapter 12. Now, by this time, in John chapter 12, Jesus has been revealing himself as God in human flesh, and he's been carrying out the, the miracles to, to prove his deity, to bring people to true saving faith in belief in him. And look at verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. But drop down to verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. And we say, oh, hallelujah, the truth is finally sunk in. They finally got it. But once again, we don't see Jesus doing cartwheels here and calling up the sword of the Lord saying, oh, fellas, you need to get a story on this. There's a great revival that's broken out among the chief rulers down here. Yet you better get this in, in, in the paper. Verse 42 says, Many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, but they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So are they saved? Well, verse 44, Jesus begins to explain to them what true saving belief in him really is. He had to qualify it. You say, I don't get it. Okay, let, let me take you just one, one other place. John chapter 8. I think it'll, I think maybe this will help. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus is in a, in a pretty major in-your-face confrontation with the Pharisees. And, and I want you to watch the glorious result in verse 30. As he spake these words, it is again. Many believed on him. And again, no backflips, no hallelujahs, no praise the Lord. Watch what Jesus does, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Okay, now listen very carefully. Okay. You're going to have to work with me. Okay, listen. Jesus is not saying here, this is not what he's saying. He is not saying, All right, fellas, I've begun the work of grace through your belief in me. But now, it's up to you to continue the work of grace so that you can obtain and attain eternal life. That is not what he's saying. Now, now listen, in verse 30, that group of people, many believed on him and listen 
at that moment, there were those who believed on him and received eternal life. And at that very same instant, there were those who believed on him who didn't receive eternal life. And all that Jesus is doing in verse 31 was letting them know how they could know what kind of belief they had. And what he's saying is, if your belief is made visible by your continuance in my word, in other words, by the fact that you follow me, it's evidence that your belief in me was genuine. You got that? We could simplify it and say it this way. Jesus is not saying here that we're saved because we follow. You know the rest? He's saying that we follow because we're saved. And that isn't just a matter of semantics. It's the difference between heaven and hell. Because if you try to work your way to heaven, you don't believe in Christ. You don't believe that he did on the cross what needed to be done and that that was the only means of salvation. You didn't have true saving faith in him if you think you've got to bring something to the table. What we brought to the table was our sin, y'all. And you can't bring anything to his table. And we don't follow because we're, well, we're really trying to get saved. No. We follow him because we're saved. And it's visible. You look at your life, and Jesus is saying, now listen, if you, if you ever know whether or not you genuinely got the, the thing, the real meal deal, just look at your life. Do you follow? Are you continuing? But now listen. When our belief isn't in Christ, when it isn't made visible by our continued fellowship of Him. It's a great indication that our belief was nothing more than an intellectual assent with an emotional kick. We embraced some right teaching one day and it did something to get us a little teary-eyed. But, but what Jesus is saying is if it was true, saving belief, it's going to come out in their life. You're going to be able to see it. And, and now listen. My goal in going through all of this, and, and you've you got to understand, this is really just the introduction. Because, listen, it's incredible as you begin to go through here and watch as Jesus tells you what the characteristics of following Him really is. I'm just telling you, it's worn me out. I thought that's what I was going to preach today. We weren't ready for it. You, you needed to see what Jesus was, what was, was saying here about how important this is. But now listen, my goal in going through all of this, and, and don't, don't, don't leave me here, my goal in going through all of this isn't to get anyone that is truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and has genuine faith in Him, my goal has not been to try to get you to doubt your salvation. I just want to make sure 
that with the people that are in this room that think they've got genuine salvation but don't, I want to make sure that they understand that there are some very definite things that this book has to say to show them that they aren't. And listen, it comes down to a matter of following. Not because that makes you saved. It's the visible evidence that you are saved. Now, now, now listen, don't pack up, don't leave, don't, don't, don't leave me with your mind even. I want to ask you something now. I'm not, I'm not asking you, have you ever believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you, have you ever prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, have you ever walked an aisle at the end of a service and prayed a prayer, raised your hand, signed a card? The question I'm asking you is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? that's what he's been inviting people to. Oh. Not are you a follower of First Baptist Church. Not are you a follower of Pastor Mark, Frank, Joe, Bob, or Tom. Not are you a follower of your disciple. Not are you a follower of the doctrinal statement or, or uh, of this church or some creed or, or some articles of faith somewhere. I, I'm asking you, are you a follower of of Jesus Christ. And I'm not asking you that compared to the people at work, to the people in your family, to the people in your neighborhood. I guess what I'm asking you is this. Does Jesus Christ recognize you as a follower? And like I said, we're going to learn a whole lot more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to follow the Lamb whithersoever we go with like 144,000 is the example that they provide for us. But now listen. There's folks in this room today. You believe all the right stuff. You can even come into a service like this or maybe even the, the, the time in the past you came to a service and Emotionally, something happened to you. But there's no visible evidence. You, you've, you've not been made a living epistle, known and read of all men, that God has genuinely done something in your heart. Again, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation. just want to make sure that as we come to this place where we're preaching the book of Revelation, talking about all these events that are getting ready to take place, I just want to make sure that some of you folks aren't like these people that we saw in the book of John that believed, and because somebody told you somewhere that if you said those words of a prayer, it was the magic formula, ding, 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 you know, bells went off in heaven and God said, I don't believe it, they said it. together. Thanks for hanging with me.
are you? Are you a follower? Do you genuinely know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Now, now listen, my, my job is, is to, to preach the Word of God. And I'm, I, you know what, I, I, I didn't like today's message at all. I hate it. Didn't want to do it. A lot more things that I, I think are a whole lot more fun to teach in the Bible. You know what, I did today what I believe God wanted me to do. And I, and I preached, preached it. And that was my job. His job is to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And I'm not going to take the time right now to try to do his job and sell you, convince you, make you feel bad. I, I, what I've sought to do today is just simply lay out the truth of God's Word. And now I'm asking you, what did God do in taking it to you? And is He saying something to you that needs to take place in your life? Some of you are guests with us today. Some of you have been a few times. And right now, God grabbing a hold of your heart. Oh man, I've been there. I know all about that. I sat in the service and heard a dude preach. And all the way through, man, God was speaking to me. It wasn't that guy up front. So you know what I'm talking about. That's what God's been doing in your heart all morning long. The God of the universe has been talking to you. And he's drawing you to himself. Will you respond to him? Some of you folks have been around here for several years. Some of you have been around here for dozens of years. Your theology is impeccable. You believe all the right stuff. There's times you even get emotional about the stuff you believe. But in your life, your submission to Him is not visible. And, and I, I, man, I, God knows my heart. I've not tried to yank anything out. I've just tried to let the Bible just say what it needs to say. And I'm just asking you, is God saying something to you? Not is Mark saying something to you. Is God saying something to you today about what needs to happen in your life to bring you to true saving belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? And the invitation that we offer today is really not our invitation. It's His. We want to let you know that we make ourselves available to you at the end of this service. And our, our pastors are going to be up on e either side of the front of this room. There's doors that are located there. They're going to position themselves there for you. And if God is speaking to your heart today, I don't care if you are a, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a charter member of the church, I don't care what, what the deal is. If God's speaking to your heart today, swallow your pride. Do business with God as he seeks to draw you to himself. Now, Lord, please do what only you can do right now. Would you please don't let anybody here that's genuinely saved 
take this message and, and cause it to be a stumbling block for them. But even more importantly, I pray for people who think they're genuinely saved on that they wouldn't just sweep this message under the rug, but right now they would let your spirit do in them what needs to be done. And I pray that today we would be brought to your cross and embrace you as their personal Lord and Savior. And we seek now to get our hands off and let you do what you need to do. For your glory's sake.